Chapter Fifteen of Barry Blake of the Flying Fortress by Gaylord Dubois. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: Slaughter from the Air. Chick Ender's prediction was only partly right. Colonel Bullock did order Sweet Rosie O'Grady and her fighting crew grounded for temporary repairs, but it was only for the rest of that day and night to smash the jap force utterly every bomber that could fly would be needed get those wounds dressed at once he ordered the eight blood-stained ragamuffins who faced him near rosy's shell-torn fuselage then report to the mess shack fill your stomachs and hit the hay if you're all fit for duty tomorrow morning i'll let you fly and uh, uh, congratulations on spotting that jap task force blake you probably saved us a lot of ships and fighting men barry took the officer's proffered hand with an embarrassed smile i was just playing a hunch sir he murmured chick i mean uh, lieutenant enders did the real job he sank a big destroyer and blew the stern off a cargo vessel before we had to clear out and the other boys knocked that aichi t-98 out of the sky simply chewed her to junk my congratulations were meant for all of you lieutenant the colonel replied with a twinkle in his eye and so are the orders i just gave dismissed as barry and his friends moved wearily toward the hospital tent a squadron of mitchell bombers passed over heading out to sea the ceiling had lifted to three thousand feet if it stayed there barry thought the planes would have little trouble in spotting the jap convoy the field he noted was almost empty of planes evidently they had taken off right after his radioed report the japs would catch plenty of grief before darkness shut down but the real payoff would be tomorrow by that time allied airfields from all over eastern new guinea as well as australia and the solomons would be sending planes to the attack the japs would meet them with swarms of their own land-based fighters a gigantic air and sea battle would be on with the outcome impossible to guess much the same thing was passing through the minds of all the crew but they were suddenly too tired to talk about it the tension of battle had broken now they were conscious chiefly of stiffening wounds and the deep physical craving for food and sleep the night passed in dreamless oblivion it seemed to barry that he had just closed his eyes when the bugle routed him out of bed he glanced unbelievingly at his watch yes the hands stood at five fifteen half an hour before dawn roll out of it chick hap curly he called this is our big day if we're not out there in time i bet you rosie o'grady will take off without us groans and yelps answered him as the tent-mates moved their sore bodies and found them more painful than the night before come on urged their young pilot snap out of it or i'll report the whole crew on the sick list we'll miss our crack at the japs but he saw a boot come sailing from hap's side of the tent and ducked just in time all right all right he laughed i'll see you lazy birds on the runway if you're too late for mess call so long Hap Newton's other boot caught him as he hurried out of the tent. He picked it up, but paused in the act of throwing it back. "'Setting up drill at this time of the morning, Lieutenant,' said Colonel Bullock's voice behind him. "'No, sir. Getting up drill is more like it,' Barry replied. "'My crew slept too hard last night, and they're still in the fog.' 
<laughs> i envy them grunted the colonel couldn't sleep at all myself last night but i have good news for you blake your ship has passed every quick test for serious damage and except for the holes that there wasn't time to patch up she's fit to fly that damaged machine-gun in the nose has been replaced she's been bombed up and serviced i'm counting on her and you men to give the japs a very special pasting to-day we'll do that sir and uh, thank you for giving us so much of your time and thought barry responded are we taking off with the squadron this time yes extreme right-wing position colonel bullock told him the take-off is in thirty minutes barry saluted and watched the officer's tall still youthful figure stride away in the twilight behind him the crew were piling out of the tent just time to eat and run fellows he said turning toward the mess shack the squadron takes off at six clear sunlight gleamed through the bottle-green crests of the big combers that tossed and battered the jap task force gone was the protecting blanket of clouds gone too was any hope in the mind of the jap admiral that he could sneak up on the allied bases without a costly attack from the air yet his words were confident as he issued his orders to the flotilla a second convoy of fourteen vessels had joined his ten during the night with their added strength he felt certain of success inform the honourable captains that they will close the intervals between their ships to five hundred yards he told his chief executive officer our massed anti-aircraft plus the umbrella of our land-based fighter planes will beat off any air attack our enemies may make in fact we shall utterly destroy them the executive bowed and hissed politely we shall destroy them utterly he repeated banzai green water crashed on the forecastle as the flagship buried her bow under a giant comber the cruiser shuddered heaved and shook herself free the bow rose higher higher until the steel warship seemed to those on deck as if she were going to stand upright on her propellers again her foredeck dipped rolled plunged into the trough of a mighty sea the anti-aircraft crews balanced themselves calmly on sea-trained legs their eyes never left the reeling sky above them they breathed deeply fingering the cold steel of their weapons waiting for the targets they knew would soon appear it was a different story below the wave-washed decks of the troop transport ships there packed in the stifling holes like sardines eighteen thousand jap infantrymen gagged and groaned the throes of seasickness gripped officers and men alike it was not deadly they had been told but it made them long for death only their inbred habit of obedience had kept them from shooting themselves or committing harakiri through the past week of inglorious suffering suddenly the flotilla's anti-aircraft opened fire with a concerted roar the transport's long-range guns joined it their barking reports made the thin steel hulls quiver and then came the bombs one struck an eight thousand ton troop ship aft of the bridge a thousand jap soldiers died in the flaming inferno it made live steam from the wrecked engine room cooked fifty other men alive a second bomb blasted the stricken vessel its superstructure leaped into the air and fell overside in twisted pieces the ship itself rolled broke apart and sank that second bomb was a credit to chick ender's marksmanship 
from a three-mile height he had hit the wave-tossed jap ship with the accuracy of a sharpshooter he had done it flying through the air that was bumpy with anti-aircraft bursts ignoring the darting zero fighters that stabbed at his ship from above soapy babbitt in the top turret and tony romani in the tail were not ignoring the hornet-like jap zeros while barry hap and chick were concentrating on their first bombing run they knocked down a plane apiece the flying fortress squadron had dispersed and its members were making individual runs over the flotilla now however the jap flak was forcing them to fly higher one bomber already was down in the sea several others had been nicked by shrapnel rosie o'grady's stabilizers showed ragged holes and cracker jackson had been stunned by a direct hit on the ball turret we're going upstairs too barry blake decided we won't make so many hits but we'll make the japs disperse so their flak won't be so concentrated that suits us gunners lieutenant fred marmon spoke up we'll pick off a few more zeros up there where our lockheed lightnings are dogfighting the jap cover of fighting planes certainly looked as if a tornado had struck it the deadly but unarmored little fighters were torching down all over the sky others were fleeing back toward their new guinea bases glad of an excuse to return for gas the reason was simple plane for plane and pilot for pilot our forces were better when the fortresses got upstairs there was not much opposition to deal with rosie o'grady made three more runs before the first wave of australian havoc bombers arrived beneath her skimming the sea at mast height the twin-engined attack bombers strafed the jap decks with a terrible hail of bullets they passed over from stern to stem and dropped their bombs at point-blank range sometimes down the enemy smokestacks on their heels came the north american b twenty six mitchells repeating the same tactics with even greater effects back and forth like a great broom of destruction they swept across the jap flotilla enemy gunners withered and died under blast after blast of hot lead those who survived tried desperately to swing their heavy guns into action but that was like trying to shoot mosquitoes with a pistol now all over a forty-mile area jap ships were blazing barry saw three of them sink before chick emptied the bomb racks with near misses on a dodging destroyer we'll go back for another load he said turning the fortress's nose homeward how's cracker jackson coming out of it was curly levitt's reply his right arm's broken above the elbow and his nose is banged up the ball turret took an awful wallop from that ack ack shell better our ball turret than our bomb bay hap newton remarked grimly we could have gone out in a blaze of glory if that shell had hit a few feet forward much to cracker jackson's distress his friends took him to the hospital tent the moment they landed at mau river have a heart lieutenant he begged barry this bum wing feels fine in a sling and i could shoot my left gun with my left hand please let me go along this trip barry shook his head that's a compound fracture man he said if you don't get proper treatment now it may gangrene besides your nose is swollen so big that you couldn't see around it to shoot lieutenant levitt will man your turret if necessary they left him still protesting in care of the field doctor as a matter of fact curly levitt said when they were out of hearing jackson's turret is so banged up that it's useless 
it won't turn and only one gun will fire i didn't tell him because he would worry about our going back without belly protection no more than six jap vessels were still in the fight when rosie o'grady returned with a fresh bomb load one cruiser four destroyers and a small cargo ship made up the half dozen they were scattered many miles apart each trying to make good its own escape between them the sea was covered with rafts landing barges lifeboats and wreckage of every description but they made no attempt to take aboard survivors for the moment the sky was fairly clear of planes two other flying fortresses a pbm flying boat a few grumman wildcats and lockheed lightnings on the hunt for zero fighters these were all that barry blake could see the enemy had been definitely shot out of the air we'll go after that cruiser the young pilot told his bombardier before she gets our range i'll dive to three thousand feet level off there for a quick run and then climb for a cloud ready chick roger answered the little man in rosie's nose it's risky but it will give me a swell target you never learned this stunt out of a rule book barry in the co-pilot's seat hap newton sat nursing the throttles changing the bomber's airspeed from moment to moment barry worked the wheel to keep her constantly shifting altitude foiling the akak gunners on the jap warship abruptly he shoved the wheel far forward the fortress headed down as if out of control then at three thousand feet she pulled out of it for a matter of seconds her run at the jap cruiser held true and level bombs away cried chick enders let's get out of here in a hurry barry put his fortress into a steep climbing turn that strained her to the limit zigzagging banking spiraling he made the big bomber climb like a cat in a fit far beneath a sheet of flame was rising from the enemy cruiser chick ender's bomb had opened her oil tanks some of her anti-aircraft were still firing but rosie's unorthodox actions fooled them completely great stuff barry yelled the little bombardier we'll pull the same stunt on that destroyer to the east of us let's go we will not barry blake retorted i felt rosie groan too many times in that last crazy climb if i did it again she might really come apart from now on we'll confine our bombing attacks to a reasonable altitude it's better to waste a bomb than a bomber even if you don't believe it as they headed for their new target at ten thousand feet more bomb bursts tossed up white fountains of seawater around the farther warships seven or eight fortresses were now on the scene the flotilla's fleeing remnants were doomed it had been a ghastly slaughter barry reflected nearly twenty thousand enemy troops not to mention the crews of the jap vessels were either dead or floating among the wreckage an army and a task force blotted out in two days mechanically he guided rosie o'grady on her run he was sick of killing even chick's jubilant bombs away failed to thrill him as it had before another hit the thousand-pound bomb burst the thin-hulled destroyer apart like a paper bag swiftly she settled stood up on her nose and slipped out of sight there was no time to launch a boat five miles beyond a number of tiny water bugs were leaving zigzag wakes in the water they were probably jap landing barges barry thought crammed with armed soldiers from one of the troop transports that had gone down 
now he saw the cause of their erratic dodging a flight of mitchell b-25s diving at them with tracer bullets streaking from their guns those nips haven't a chance even if they're lucky enough to shoot down a plane or two hap newton observed their barges must look like sieves already more meat for the sharks more butchery muttered barry blake it's necessary of course if those armed japs ever made land they'd soon be killing our own men that's what they were sent here for but i've seen enough slaughter today to make me feel rather sick chick enders didn't say so but he may have felt the same way after thinking it over at any rate he seemed to have lost his uncanny marksmanship for the rest of that day his remaining bombs scored nothing better than near misses on a desperately zigzagging destroyer another fortress sank that vessel as barry turned his plane homeward looks like some sort of weather front over toward the coast hap newton remarked i hope our base isn't shut in by it we'll have to find another field or bail out tony can't bail out lieutenant fred marmon's voice interrupted he's bleeding to death fast from a leg wound i've just found him unconscious in the tail turret and put on a tourniquet a moment of shocked silence followed fred's statement each man of the crew felt as if he himself had received a deadly hurt the fortress crew was like a single body its members knit inseparably together by weeks of common danger duty thought and feeling tie that tourniquet tight fred barry blake said huskily keep tony alive and i'll manage to get rosie o'grady down somewhere ceiling or no ceiling soapy contact mau river will you and ask what the weather is there leaving his position in the top turret sergeant babbitt sat down at his radio in a few minutes he had the field's weather report closed in he said briefly and so are all nearby airfields better try buna or port moresby if you have enough gas that's the tough part of it said hap bitterly we used up our gas hunting down the jap navy buna and port moresby are out our only hope is to hit the silk groans sounded over the interphone not their own danger but that of tony romani brought unanimous protests from the others there's got to be some place for us to set her down skipper fred marmon declared you've always been able to figure a way out we can't let tony down curly exclaimed barry blake get out your charts and see if there aren't some atolls or small islands somewhere this side of that weather front if one of them had a beach long enough and smooth enough i see what you mean curly spoke excitedly i'll tell you in two shakes barry there's a sprinkling of little islands between us and the western tip of new britain uh, here they are two or three of them ought to be clear of fog right now i'll give you the compass course a new spirit pervaded the bomber's crew despite battle weariness their still painful hurts and their worry over tony they crowded around curly's map like a bunch of eager kids don't get your hopes too high their level-headed navigator warned them none of these islands may have a beach big enough to land a fighter plane if that's so we'll lose sweet rosie o'grady anyway and if we can land barry added the place may be swarming with japs personally i'm for taking the risk but if there's one man who doesn't like the idea we'll turn back and bail out over mau river tony would have a bare chance to live if we pulled his ripcord and chucked him out silence answered him it was broken finally by curly levitt's voice giving barry the compass course for an unnamed islet that they might hope to reach ahead of the fog 
okay crusoes you asked for it rosie o'grady's old man said cheerfully we'll be inside of island number one in about twenty minutes in twenty minutes to the dot they sighted the first white and green bump on the ocean's surface the islet rose to a central peak about three hundred feet high covered completely with jungle as the fortress swept over it at two thousand feet her crew voiced their disappointment such beaches as the place possessed were narrow and rocky a helicopter might have found a landing place but not a bomber with a ninety mile per hour landing speed almost before the little peak had passed beneath curly was laying the course for island number two it lay a little farther to the north and away from the weather front its length however suggested better landing possibilities and it was barely fifty miles away ten minutes later chick enders pointed it out as its low-lying shape became more distinct the crew's hopes rose the south beach they saw was wide and free from stones and the tide at this hour was out the only fault of this natural runway was its slight curve and the tiny brook that broke its length i'll chance it the young skipper decided as a matter of fact it's going to be a lot easier to set down on that beach than to take off even supposing we can get more gas climbing to a safe height he turned and came in for his landing in order to make the most of the beach's length he brought rosie's wheels down just at the farther edge of the brook the fortress bucked a trifle at the wave-packed sand and rolled to a smooth stop within her six men cheered like maniacs hold it down men barry advised we don't know what we're up against yet our first job is to dress tony's wound then we'll explore the island if there's time to do that before dark curly pass me the first aid kit and a bottle of water will you please tony was still unconscious when they carried him to the plane's cockpit his wound had evidently been made by a piece of flak that had ripped through his thigh like a dull knife the arteries were bleeding slowly despite the tourniquet with small silver clips from the first aid kit barry managed to close the severed blood vessels he dusted a handful of sulfanamide powder into the wound removed the tourniquet and closed most of the kit's gauze in a snug bandage straightening up he pointed to the windows in the nose and overhead open up and give him some fresh air he directed the minute tony comes to we'll make him swallow some salt tablets and sulfadiazine with all the water he can drink that's all we can do chick you and soapy will stay with him now while the rest of us look over the island we'll be back before dark if we don't run into any japs okay skipper we'll hold the fort chick answered if you should meet trouble nearby we can cover your retreat with rosie's machine guns maybe you'd better demount one of them and take it along for an emergency our pistols and the tommy gun will be enough barry said as he left the cockpit those fifty caliber babies are too heavy to carry far or to use without a tripod see you soon fellows a five-hour search of the island revealed no human inhabitant on the farther side from their plane the fortress men found the burned remnants of a native village and a few unburied corpses the jap butchers had evidently come and gone a few weeks before barry and hap downed a half-wild pig with their pistols on their return to the fortress they frightened a number of scrawny island chickens that flew squawking into the jungle 
it was plain that they need not starve fred marmon remarked even if escape from the island should be delayed for a month i've no idea of waiting that long fred barry laughed as soon as it's dark we'll radio the base to send a supply ship here with a runway of steel mats on the beach we should have no trouble in taking off that is if the nips don't spot us reaching the plain they found tony romani conscious again he had been swallowing salt and water in quantity to make up for his loss of blood despite the pain of his wound he greeted his friends with a plucky grin all i want is a juicy beefsteak he told them and mashed spuds and apple pie and you'll have to be satisfied with pork chops barry interrupted beef won't be on the menu until we're back at mau river the same goes for potatoes dinner tonight will be roast wild pig palm cabbage and coconut milk with a vitamin pill for dessert ravenous appetites made the jungle dinner a success even though tony dropped off to sleep in the middle of it the others literally cleaned the bones of their little roast porker there was no campfire to enjoy however the light would have betrayed them to any scouting jap plane within twenty miles the moment the sun set they kicked sand over the coals and finished their meal in the dark contact with mau river was made quickly by radio a brief message not likely to mean much to listening japs gave their location barry added a request for supplies and arranged radio and ground signals to guide the approaching planes to a moonlight landing the next thing barry announced is to camouflage rosie so that she'll be invisible from the air as soon as the moon rises we'll begin cutting vines and leafy bushes with only four pocket knives it may take us most of the night but that just can't be helped that's the moon coming up now hap newton exclaimed pointing to a glow on the eastern horizon out with those toad stabbers gentlemen we'll cut a new green dress for sweet rosie o'grady or fall asleep trying the camouflage was only half completed when the first supply plane arrived it was a big coronado flying boat altered for extra cargo space it brought enough gasoline in cans to feed rosie's big engines on the trip home and it took tony romani back to the field hospital the next two planes brought bundles of steel mats for the beginning of a long straight runway three days later rosie o'grady's sunburned crew had lost ten or fifteen pounds apiece but the roadway of perforated steel was completed one end of it was under water owing to the curve of the beach an incoming wave might cause the huge bomber to ground loop at the moment of her take-off but that was a chance that had to be taken as the men piled into their ship they tried not to worry about this danger spot yet there was no denying the risk belted into his co-pilot seat hap newton warmed up the four big engines slowly he increased the rpm until rosie o'grady was straining to be off the mighty slipstream ripped jungle foliage and tossed the fragments of her camouflage screen let's go hap barry blake said quietly with brakes released the bomber leaped ahead she rushed down the narrow steel runway her airspeed gauge climbing fast if one of her big wheels should run off into the sand disaster would almost certainly result almost on the step she reached the wet end of the strip spray flew from her right hand wheel the water tugged at the tire like a many tentacled octopus despite both the pilot's weight on the controls it pulled her down the right wing dipped into a wave 
every man on board held his breath bracing himself for the shock and rending crash of a ground loop then abruptly the ship righted herself when barry eased back on the controls she lifted her twenty-five tons as lightly as a wind-blown leaf home james croaked chick enders and a gale of laughter swept through the flying fortress releasing her crew's badly stretched nerves End of chapter 15